Welcome to Illinois Family Spotlight, a conversation about faith, family, freedom, the state of Illinois, our nation, and conservative action. Here's David Smith and Monty Larrick. Thanks for making Illinois Family Spotlight part of your day. I'm Monty Larrick. Dr. Alan Carlson believes that it is time, it is past time, for social conservatives to go on offense. Dr. Carlson is the John A. Howard Fellow for Family and Religious Studies at the International Organization for the Family and editor of The Natural Family, an international journal of research and policy. He's an author and in 1997 founded the World Congress of Families. Dr. Carlson, let's start with this. How would you define social conservatism and has your definition changed over the years? Well, I would define social conservatism as the uh, organized effort to promote, encourage, and defend the concept of the natural family. The natural family being a man and a woman bound in a one flesh marital union for the purposes of procreation, of uh, mutual love and support, and the building of a home, a strong home, a strong home economy. It's a political movement but it's designed to reflect and to support and affirm a biblical principle that uh, the family is the fundamental unit of society and a strong family is the path to human flourishing and human fulfillment. So have you had to alter your definition of social conservatism over the years to make way for the current norms of our society? Absolutely not. The definition of social conservative, at least my definition, never changes. It hasn't changed from Genesis chapters 1 and 2. It starts there. It was biblically ordained. Uh, This is God's plan to be marital, to be familial. What's happened in recent decades is an abandonment of the biblical principle, a, a surrender to a kind of a decadent form of liberalism, which has elevated choice in individual whims and desires far above the concepts of duty, obligation, mutuality, and the biblical principle of the one flesh union. Well, Doctor, evangelical churches seem to be strained from social conservatism. Pastors may say, for instance, that they're pro-life, but they don't encourage their members of their congregations to engage in pro-life activism. And you don't hear very many evangelical pastors preaching about God's plan for sexuality and marriage. They don't preach on behalf of fatherhood and large families. Have those issues just become too politicized for pastors and their churches to take on? Evangelical churches that are going down that path are going down the same path that led to the sort of dismal end of what was called mainline Protestantism. The Episcopalian Church, the liberal Lutheran churches, the liberal Presbyterian and Methodist side of things, which went started down that path 70 or 80 years ago and have uh, at this point basically abandoned any concept or any sense of a biblical order to marriage and sexuality. So if evangelicals are doing the same thing now, they're going to wind up in the same place. Irrelevant, places without families. <laughs> pretty much an empty hall full of some very old people who were still kind of coming just out of habit but not out of conviction. Well, on the one hand, some churches may be very active in the pro-life cause, for instance, 
but they will shy away from all these matters pertaining to sexuality. They're making a mistake. They're making a huge mistake. First of all, given the chaos of sexuality in our contemporary culture, the Christian message, which is one of chastity, fidelity, one of the channeling of the sexual impulse toward the creation of new life, toward the creation of a strong home. These are exciting concepts. They're not boring, old-fashioned concepts. Unfortunately, that's how churches tend to treat them these days. The original Christian movement was an exciting movement about building families in the context of the decadent late Roman Empire, an empire marked by easy abortion, by the breakdown of the moral order of the old Roman Republic, the Christians came along with an exciting message. You don't have to live that way. You can have, your, your life can be full and rich, built on Christian sexual ethics and Christian family values, if you'll have it. And they've, unfortunately, uh, contemporary, many or even most Christian churches have forgotten how to convey that message. Well, what's step one in the process? I had a pastor tell me, you know, he'd like to talk about those issues. He just doesn't know how. Well, <laughs> I guess you find some places that'll tell you how. Just do it. Just do it. I think you'll be surprised at the, the, at the response. Again, right now, young people in particular face a horrific con a cultural context where disorder, sexual deviance has become the norm where the lifting up of the one flesh marital union based on fidelity and chastity before marriage, that is you know, derided by the contemporary culture as ridiculous, as silly. If Christians could learn how to just phrase again what they've been teaching for 2,000 years, I think they'll see that what seems ridiculous to the current culture will actually be, seem very attractive to young people in particular, but people of all ages looking for some answers, looking for stability, looking for order, and looking for the formula that leads to human flourishing. And that's what Christian family ethics and Christian sexual ethics does. So you could say perhaps to your congregation, you say you believe in the Bible. Well, I know the culture tells us this, but this is what the Bible has to say about this, sexuality, abortion, etc. Oh, precisely so. And uh, again, most of what you need to know is pretty much like I say in the first couple of chapters of Genesis. And it's an exciting message. I would also hope that pastors would come to appreciate again the early Christian church and the model that the early Christian church provided. The er those early clusters of Christians facing persecution, facing death because of their beliefs who nonetheless boldly went forward with a new way of life that uh, faced the corruptions of, of the late Roman Empire and, and ultimately led to their victory over a decadent culture that was, again, wrapped around abortion, contraception, a complete breakdown of the, the moral order that had been there. The Christians came in with an exciting new alternative. Recovering that, I think, is the critical task facing all Christian pastors today. So if pastors, evangelical pastors in particular, reclaim those issues on life and sexuality, it could not only make for better Christians, but also for a better America? Precisely. We also need to stop losing slowly, which is what's been going on for the last 70 years. 
There was a time not so long ago, even within my own memory as a child, when the United States, when our law and our public policy, and indeed our culture, reinforced a strong family order. That has been disintegrating over the last 60 years, driven to a considerable degree by a rogue court system, which has embraced the liberal concepts, I'll call it the decadent liberal concepts of choice, the search for one's own personal liberation, one's own personal identity. I'm going to define myself. I can be whatever I want to be. That's a decadent form of liberalism that has led to a, a collapse or at least a broad assault by the courts particularly by the federal courts, on the Christian moral code. And we've, we've just lived with that for 60 or 70 years, sort of defending this crumbling system. Americans and American Christians have also fallen back on the strategy of, well, we can't define the culture anymore. The best we can hope for is just a religious exemption. We'll cower in our little churches and ask to be let alone. We're not going to try to teach the broader culture or anything. Our Christian ethics, our biblical ethics, are just for our little group, not for everybody. That's not what Christians used to think. Christianity is supposed to be a universal religion. Uh, we carry the gospel to everyone. And part of the gospel message is this liberating message of sexual order and sexual fulfillment and a family order and family fulfillment. And we've got to stop adopting a loser's strategy, which is just give us a little bit of a religious exemption on certain things. Go ahead and the rest of the culture can go into the toilet. Leave us alone in our church. And to be quite frank, it's a losing strategy and you won't be left alone. They're going to come for you. They already are. So you might as well fight. You might as well fight. Well, one could argue that the genie's out of the bottle. Abortion and same-sex marriage and all things LGBT have been legalized and normalized. There's no going back. So why spend time, energy, effort, capital on those issues? These things go in cycles. In fact, I wrote a book called Family Cycles, looking at the ebb and flow of, uh, of the Christian message on these matters, of the message of the natural family. That last 50 to 60 years have been quite bad, and I will grant that. But there have been bad times before, even in the American context, and there have been better times and good times when the natural family model has been reinforced in American law and public policy and in American culture. I expect we're going to see a swing back just because our current system is unsustainable. Our current set of dominant cultural values is unsustainable. It's not satisfying. It's leaving people unhappy, miserable. It's unsustainable in a, in a social way as well. We've been here before. And again, I go back to the early church. The early Christians faced a cultural order every bit as corrupted as ours is today. What they did is they focused on their principles, they lived them, and astonishingly, even those who were persecuting them began to say, hey, these people have something to say, they have something to tell us. We're going through a tough time. Christians have been in tough times before. When the church has worked, when the Christian faith has grown, and it's when it's become exciting, it's when it's become countercultural. It's when it lights up the sky with a vision of what I would again call human flourishing. We're going through a tough time. Will it get tougher? I want you to answer that question when Illinois Family Spotlight continues with Dr. Alan Carlson.
Americans have been traveling down the health insurance highway for decades. But lately, it's been taking us to places we don't want to go. For Christians, it's hard to know which road to take. Or is it? Samaritan Ministries provides a different direction, a biblical path for their members to pray for each other and share financially in each other's medical needs. This idea that Samaritan has adopted from the book of Acts should permeate all parts of our lives, not just health sharing. We, as a body of believers, are living out New Testament Christianity. This is what God intended for the church. Do you believe that you need an insurance company or do you believe that God will provide your needs? And there are people that you've never met before who are going to pray for you and meet your needs. There's another way. Looking for a new direction for your health care? Visit us online at SamaritanMinistries.org. Thanks for joining Illinois Family Spotlight. Monty Larrick here, and I'm joined by Dr. Alan Carlson with the World Congress of Families. Briefly, doctor, tell us about your work. Well, the World Congress of Families began actually in a strange place, Moscow, Russia, 25 years ago. I was invited there to the University of Moscow, Lomonosov State University, by the sociology department. They were concerned about how Russian family system was falling apart, partly as a legacy of communism, but also as uh, when, com when the communists fell, what rushed in was the worst forms of American cultural liberalism and European cultural liberalism. And suddenly the, the Russian family system, which was under great stress, was literally disintegrating. Fertility was tumbling, the death rate was climbing, uh, particularly among men, but also among women. The uh, marriage rate was abysmally low. What do we do? Well, I went in there as a student of what was going on in the United States and in Western Europe, and we've, we started to compare and contrast notes and decided we needed to start an international movement to understand the pressures on, mod on families, to affirm, to ident identify and affirm the natural family as the alternative, and build a coalition that would work to support and encourage and defend the natural family in our nations and around the globe. Because also the United Nations was becoming aggressively involved in, in, in anti-family work at this time through a series of conferences in Beijing, in Cairo, in Istanbul. The European Union was taking form with, uh, again, the worst form of, uh, of cultural liberalism as part of its package. So we set out to set an international movement. And since that time, we've held 13 major international congresses, 40 regional ones, uh, have sparked a pro-family activism in nations all around the globe. What we do is, is we just step back and let the conferences go. People come together, they learn from each other, they share ideas, they share concepts. Thousands of projects have issued from these conferences. Nations have changed. Russia has become a pro-family nation. It's hard for Americans to believe these days. Some of the other nations of Eastern Europe, Poland and Hungary, strongly affirming uh, of the natural family, and both in their uh, rhetoric, but also in their public policy and in their law. Nations in Africa are finding their feet again. They're rejecting the new colonialism of the decadent liberalism of the European Union and are finding a way forward, a pro-family way forward. And we're there just to help and encourage that. You have a website? 
We do. Please go to the International Organization for Family, and you'll also go to IFAM, IFAM News, which is a week, a daily uh, report on pro-family news from around the globe. And if you would like to see our journal, it's now called The Natural Family, but it still has tied to the tag thefamilyinamerica.org. Go there. You can tie into our journal as, as well. Dr. Carlson, before the break, you told us that Christians have lived in tough times before, that we're living in tough times now. But is it going to get worse? The Bible tells us that. But will it get exponentially worse if social conservatives don't start trying to win? I think it probably will get worse. I think we could anticipate that. Assuming that uh, the Joe Biden administration moves into office, uh, he's made it very clear that uh, his strong opposition to the pro-life and to the pro-family movements. His administration will be uh, focused relentlessly on promoting decadent liberalism of the sexual revolution. With that said, there's some good news, too. The good news is that the social conservative movement has taken form. I think it's on the edge or on the verge of either taking over the Republican Party, the populist impulse behind uh, developments in the Republican Party over the last uh, 10 years are reforming that party or changing that party, or at least potentially to change that party. It had been the pro-business, the pro-Wall Street, pro-rich people party. It's now becoming the party of real working class Americans. And I think we can pull that off and make that the Republican Party a much better vehicle for promoting and defending social conservative as. If that doesn't work out, it's time to think about forming a new party. In the 1850s, the old Whig party had been sort of the anti-slavery party, but it was falling apart. Abraham Lincoln and certain others put together the Republican Party in the 1850s as the third party, and within a very short period of time, it had become the alternative to the pro-slavery Democrats. Something like that may be going on as well. Again, this is a time of turbulence, but turbulence produces opportunities. And that's what I think social conservatives should be looking for. You talked about forming a third party. But if you do that, the argument is, all you're going to do is make it easier for liberal leftist Democrats to win because you'll split the conservative and moderate vote. Well, I'm not sure if uh, <laughs> if that's going to happen. To be quite frank, the well called the old line Republican Party still thinks that uh, the Fortune 500 are behind them, still think the American media are behind them. That's not true. The Democratic Party is becoming the party of, of elites, the party of... Pro-big tech. Big, yeah, big tech. They're becoming the party, it, it appears, even of the uh, pro-national security state. A pro-family party, I think, has a tremendous opportunity to capture a majority a permanent majority in this country. And again, there's examples from overseas. This happened in Hungary, uh, a country I much admire. Viktor Orban, the prime minister there, has led his party, Fidesz party, into a strongly pro-family movement and doing real things with real results. I think the same thing can happen here. But does that movement lose steam here in the U.S. without President Trump in the White House pushing some of these populist causes. Well, those things are part of what needs to be done. We're going to have to find a new version of a, of a Trump administration that does the best things of it, but also abandon some of, the, some of the negatives that have been there as well. 
I think that's very possible. There's some fine young people coming up in the social conservative movement, some fine senators, fine members of Congress. There's a whole new class of pro-life representatives that, that have emerged in the last two elections. I think there's a real opportunity to find new talent, new leadership that don't have some of the baggage that President Trump carried. Let's talk about what's happening in Illinois. There's going to be a change in the leadership of the Illinois Republican Party. There's the social conservatives who say, we've lost all these elections going the establishment route. Let's try this idea of social conservatism to show the public that we're far different from the Democratic Party of Illinois. What do you say? Well, the last Republican governor, I think, is proven the bankruptcy of what we'll call the mainstream Republican Party. <laughs> and he really had no ideas other than sort of defend the status quo and defend people like himself. And I think too, the real energy in the Republican Party right now has been with the pro-life folks that have come forward. There's a lot of energy and a lot of talent there. The failure of the Reiner administration, I think, has opened a door for a real opportunity. I think the corruptions of the democratic machine have becoming ever more evident. And I think there's a real opportunity. So I think this is a good thing and a good time. And then there's the pandemic, the shutdowns, and uh, seeming attacks on religious liberty. Are we kind of in the mood for a revolt? I think so. I think so. Again, it has to be done carefully. It has to be done within certain limits and in certain ways. But there may be a time of persecution. There may be churches that are closed that are fine. There may be people that are imprisoned. This has happened before, again. And whenever the Christian church has been most alive and most vital, and most true to its purpose, purpose set by God himself through his son Jesus Christ, has been during times of, of trouble. When things get easy, we all get sloppy. When things get easy, we take things for granted, which when that happens, things fall apart. I think that's one of the reasons the United States, which was born as a pro-family nation, I've written a couple of books on that. I was born as a pro-family nation, distinctive in many ways because of that. And again, there was a Christian sensibility and a Christian reality behind that. We got lazy when things got good and things went pretty well. We forgot how much effort it takes to do that. Again, it's an effort that's quite rewarding. It's an effort to build and defend a pro-family, pro-marriage, pro-life culture. We had one and we let it slip away partly out of simply laziness, out of, I don't, we don't have to worry about that anymore. Or we've, if things are good, we could experiment a little bit, just a little bit, and then a little bit got bigger and bigger. So I think there's a tremendous opportunity right now to kind of push the reset button, the Christian reset button, and, and show again what makes Christianity really work, why, how to make it vital again. You think that's a winning message, even in big blue Illinois? <laughs> again, I think so. Again, I think if we offer, particularly to young people, a message of hope, a vision of fulfillment and of happiness, and if we reconnect people to what I think really are their natural interests and their natural their human nature, if we do that, I think there's a tremendous opportunity to win. Thank you very much, Dr. Alan Carlson. Please support the work of the World Congress of Families. And please support the work of the Illinois Family Institute. All donations are tax deductible. Go to our website, IllinoisFamily.org, or give us a call at 708-781-9328. Also, tell a friend about Illinois Family Spotlight. Stay safe, and until next time, God bless.
Thank you for listening to Illinois Family Spotlight. For more information, please visit us at ifiaction.org and look for us on Facebook and Twitter. If you would like to email us questions or comments, please do so at feedback at ifiaction.org. Until next time, stay engaged and keep your eyes on the prize.